Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Good morning, Hosanna, and good morning to those of you who are online. How are you doing today? Spring is coming, just not today. <laughs> just not today. Yeah, before long, you're going to be mowing your grass again. Yep. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? No, no, no. All right, everyone. Hey, we're going to have some fun this morning. You know, we live in a crazy world, don't we? We don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen. A lot of things are happening that really don't make us very happy at that point. So today, we're going to go back and uh, enjoy some songs that possibly those of you who are as old as I am. <laughs> oh, none of you are as old as I am? Okay. Uh, sang when you were possibly kids and growing up. So we're going to sing some hymns today, and Kelly has a word she wants to share before we get started as well. Well, I'm not as old as Rick, but... <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah to that. But um, hymns for me are very interesting because I, have, I was very, very close to my maternal grandparents and spent time when I was younger going to Westgate Baptist Church here in Lancaster. Yes, I, I, my grandparents were members there, so I went to Westgate with them sometimes on Sundays and got to know a lot of the people there. And so hymns to me, boy, those Baptists, they really, yeah, <laughs> they belt the hymns out. And so it has very good memories for me. And then, um, oh, this was a number of years ago, but I took my grandparents to a family reunion down in the hollers of North Carolina. Like, you know, that's where they were born and raised. And just people gathered around singing hymns. And there's a place for that in our history. And so I'm glad that we get to intersperse these with our modern-day worship. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that's really good memories for me. Let's sing, Oh, Worship the King. Oh. 
surrender all to you. And we just have to admit that sometimes that's not what we're doing. Sometimes, Father, we are excuse me, wanting to do something other than that. But Father, we thank you that we have given ourselves to you. And then the times that we make other choices. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never condemn us. And Lord, we recognize that life is a journey. And a part of that journey is recognizing where we may not have 
surrender it all. As you shine those lights on us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we're grateful. Just grateful for who you are. For what you do. And your unconditional love. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you wave to your friends around you? If you feel comfortable to hug somebody, feel free to do that. If not, just say hello. And we will wave to those of you who are online. (laughs) The ushers can come and take the offering this time. The adult class, the message discussion group, will meet again today at 11.15 in the fellowship hall. So if you would like to uh, discuss the message, and I think the ushers are coming for the offering now. Yep, there they are, coming right along. Um, Hosanna is going to host a self-guided exhibition (coughs) titled A Contemplative Contemplative, if I can get the word out. Got stuff in my throat. A contemplative suffering, and will invite viewers to look outward on Christ's journey to the cross and then inward to our own journey. The artist is Daniel Buffenmeyer from Lebanon County. This is a three-day event that's open to the public for a self-guided tour. And that's going to happen on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday prior to Easter. Uh, Deb has told me uh, that she has seen some of the work that this uh, young man has done, and it's exceptional. So... If you don't normally come, I haven't seen this personally, but I'm, I, if you don't normally come to something we're doing Easter week on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, I would encourage you to take the time because it should be a really, really good experience. So I want to encourage you to, to come at that point. Hosanna is going to host a blood drive on April the 5th. So if you give blood on a regular basis, I give blood regularly. I don't come here because the, the blood uh, uh, office is like a quarter of a mile from where I live, so I go there. But I try to give every two months. Uh, are any of you here just out of curiosity, regular blood donors? One, two, a couple, okay. Are some of you still afraid of needles? Raise your hand, raise your hand, okay, okay. All, of, all the rest of you raising your hands, okay, all right. Now, obviously some of you can't give blood because of a variety of reasons, and, and that, that's perfectly fine. And yeah, I don't look when they stick me, okay? I'm looking another way, and I kind of feel it. Once it's in, it's okay. It's, it's okay. You know, just got to get past it. But if you've never given blood and you think you can, uh, take a friend with you <laughs> and go give blood. Elders will be available for prayer following service at the back of the sanctuary by the cross. Uh, before Tony and Joanne come up, uh, I would like for us to pray for just a moment about what's going on around the world. Pray for those in Ukraine and and others. There's just so much happening. Let's just take a moment to do that. Father, we're grateful for where we are right now today. Lord, there's so much pain and suffering and horror and all around the world, but very specifically right now in Ukraine. God, we pray for those 
who are refugees. We pray for those who are helping to take care of the refugees. We recognize that there's got to be an awful lot of fear, an awful lot of anxiety, an awful lot of concern. We pray for those who have lost loved ones in the midst of this conflict. God, we, we pray for peace. We pray for a cessation of this war and this, these hostilities. Lord, we just pray for your, your spirit to do something powerful in the midst of all of this. Sometimes it's just hard to know how to pray, God. Lord, we pray for your spirit just to minister to those in need. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Rick. And thanks, Rick and Kelly, for leading us in worship. We don't do this too often, but every once in a while, it's nice just to, we have this awesome worship team, it's nice just to strip things down a bit and remember what has been true all along. And so the old songs sometimes give voice to, um, to, to help us remember that um, not just what maybe we sang in our youth, but what our parents sang before us and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. And we are heirs of that legacy and that tradition. So, yeah. Well, last week, Joanne and I stood up here and we told you some hard news. It's a difficult story to tell. But we also told you some gospel about how, how healing and restoration are at work among us. So we just want to start by saying thank you for the outpouring of encouragement and support you've given us. It's, it's just, it's been overwhelming and it's just been good for our own souls this week. And the support you've given to the people who are involved in this. So uh, we're just both greatly moved. Yeah. This week, however, we have happier things to talk about. Yay. <laughs> Let me start with this question. Just who do you think you are? You ever been asked that question? Have you ever asked someone else? It's the kind of thing that maybe once in a while I heard from my mom and my dad as I was growing up. When their opinion, anyone know this phrase too? I'd gotten a little big for my britches. In other words, I presumed an authority or a depth of knowledge that I hadn't attained yet. Just who do you think you are, young man? Yeah. It was a way to put me back in my place. Yep. Sometimes I needed that. We can indeed think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Most of the time, however, in our generation, we tend to think of ourselves more lowly than we ought. Most of our conversations are about trying to encourage people to, to realize what beautiful and wonderful and, uh, I, I, people they al you already are. Yep. And that's because we've had voices in our life that have sought to diminish us, to keep us quiet, to keep us passive. Mm -hmm. And so just who do you think you are has been one of those tools used against us. Just who do you think you are has also been used throughout history by powerful people to keep other kinds of people from living out their own God-given rights and responsibilities, out of their own God-given identity. Like I tell you, when we know the answer to that question for ourselves, wow, we can speak and live boldly in the world. We live at a very, we, we have a very different stance for our life in this world. Mm -hmm. So, do you know the answer to that question? 
We asked you that two weeks ago when we stood up here and talked about who we are from God's perspective. And we looked at the story of Jesus being baptized and the affirmation of his own identity he received at that moment. The spirit came down to rest on him and a voice from heaven said, you remember, you are loved, you are mine, you are pleasing. You remember because the PowerPoint's up there, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then having witnessed all of that, having participated in all that, John the Baptist was finally able to see Jesus for who he truly was also. Mm -hmm. You're not just my cousin. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so two weeks ago, we invited you in that service to hear God making the same affirmations to you. For you too are made in the image and likeness of God, and you too are loved, and you are his. And you are already pleasing in his sight before you do one daggone thing. And then to allow others to see who you truly are. To see the unique person God has created you to be. And the unique way of living in this world that only you can bring. And this is gospel. This is good news. Okay, now that's where we were before. Here's what happens, however. The moment we begin to believe what God has said about us. The moment we begin to think it's really true. The moment we begin to live out of that true identity. Guess what happens? We get pushback. Mm-hmm. Maybe even from inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just who do you think you are? Yeah. Hmm. Here's some good news. Jesus did too. Yeah. Got that same pushback, that same experience of temptation and testing. But you know what? If we, if, if we experience that, it can actually result in the good news of freedom. As I was writing this, I had sort of heard Braveheart somewhere in the distance. Freedom! (laughs) And that's the good news that today's message is about. We can be free in ways that we have, most of us have not yet begun to imagine. Mm -hmm. So let's follow Jesus' story so we can follow Jesus' example. Yes. So the temptations of Jesus occurred right after his baptism and just before he began his public ministry. Luke's gospel tells us this in verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted. And the word tempted there means he was tried, he was tested by the devil. Um, Okay, so you may be wondering, people do. I've been asked this question, you probably have been too is, yeah, I know, but it's just kind of symbolic, isn't it, that he's going into the wilderness for 40 days because he's kind of walking through Israel's story and they were in the wilderness for 40 years and it's kind of symbolic because Jesus really couldn't be tempted, could he? After all, like, he was God. How could he possibly sin? Good question. Answer, yes, Jesus was God. He was fully divine, but he was also, it's the mystery, right? He was also fully human. That's the Christmas story that the second member of the Trinity chose to empty himself. We're going to read that, those verses in just a bit here, but he chose to empty himself, to let go of, to surrender his rights, his privileges, his glory as God. Kenosis. He emptied. All, he let it all go. 
in order to enter this world as a, a real human baby with all the same needs that all other human babies have and to grow into an adult who had the same human needs that all of us have. See, in his human nature, Jesus did experience real temptation. He could have sinned. It, that's important for where we're going with this. Very important. He experienced real temptation. He could have sinned. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this, though, what that has allowed, part of what that experienced, because remember, God hadn't been human before. God had been spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, Trinity, didn't have a body. This is a new experience for God, to have a body. And as a result of God becoming human, as a result of Jesus going through these temptations, it says, Hebrews 4, uh, 15, Jesus understands every weakness of ours. Why? Because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. Wow, now, there's some gospel there, right? That the, there's the good news that temptation is not sin. Very often, I think Christians have fallen into this trap of thinking that just the temptation itself is sin. We're doing something wrong, you know, we must have, you know, be thinking something, something's wrong that I'm being tempted. No, <laughs> temptation happens. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is something that comes along with being human and learning to live with our God-given limitations in a broken world. So after his baptism, Jesus was drawn by the indwelling spirit, says he was full of the spirit, into the wilderness where his identity would be tested. Because you know, it's one thing to know who you are in a mountaintop spiritual moment where the sky breaks open and God's voice is telling you and affirming you in front of everybody who you are. It's something else entirely to hold on to that identity when you are weakened and isolated for weeks on end in a harsh, hot desert. It's so easy to become disoriented out there and disoriented in here in the hard times, in the hard places, when it feels like you are anything but loved by God. Those circumstances, you know you've had them, we have our deserts, it's so, those circumstances when it's so easy to doubt who we think God really is and who we think we really are. So in his humanness, Jesus needed to go to that place of real temptation that he shares with us to show us how in him we can stay true to God and true to our own God-given identity no matter how powerfully tempted we may be to forget both of those things, both God's identity and our own. So for Jesus, that place of temptation was a literal desert where he was tempted to forget who he was and why he was here. In essence, the temptations were attempts to distract Jesus from what mattered most. They were attempts to sidetrack him from the path that had been set for him, to sidetrack him from his true identity, his true purpose in this world. So in the desert, Jesus showed us that the best way to disable 
the evil one. The best way to disarm evil is to focus unflinchingly on the reality of who God is and created each of us to be. It means looking clearly straight in the face of evil and not, uh, we don't like to do that, do we? I know I've been experiencing that with all of this news, you know, in the last month coming out of Ukraine and watching what is happening. There are times I can't, I can't look at it anymore. Right? We get to turn it up. But see, the thing is, that's okay when we're feeling overwhelmed like that emotionally. But we can't turn it off and forget (laughs) what evil looks like. We got to see it for what it really is. And we then need to be able to choose not to be distracted by its temptations to sin. Not to, you know, the temptation to forget who we are. What is sin? Well, there's gospel here too. And some of this is review for some of you who have been here at Hosanna for a long time, but there is gospel here. Good news. What is sin? At its core, listen, sin is not about breaking rules or doing wrong things. Those are sins. And Paul in the book of Romans, plural, sins are behaviors. They are sins, plural, outward expressions of the real inner issue. Jesus said, you know, the fruit comes from a root. We got to trace it back. Sins are the result of sin, capital S, singular, sin. A state that we choose, right? Sin is refusing to be who God created us to be, forgetting who we are, forgetting who God is, refusing to love and be loved as God loves. That is the essence. God is love. When we refuse that love identity for him or us, it's sin. All right. In the desert, Jesus then, having said all that, Jesus faced three temptations common to humanity. Three ways in which Jesus and we are tempted to doubt God's love and goodness, to replace God's redemptive plan, God's purposes, with something we think is better. Right? And that third attempt to make something other than God our greatest good. Okay, let's look a little bit more detail at the three temptations first. First temptation, Luke 4, 3. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread, the evil one says. All right, Jesus, he'd been fasting for 40 days in the heat of the Judean desert. Um, When we were working on the message on Friday, Tony described being there. I can say it quicker. You'd probably go in more detail, so I'll just say what you said. <laughs> Got to save time here. But he, just, he was saying, I was there, and he was. And he's like, it was hot. It was a hot, harsh place. Little vegetation anywhere, not much shade, if any. Oh, there's a picture of it. Yeah. And it's littered just littered with stones, large and small. single pizza restaurant in 30 miles. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, He also said, you know what? Having been there, I can understand how easy it would be for someone who was out there um, literally starving, right, without food for for that long, 
to look at those stones and imagine them as big loaves of bread. Right? We don't know exactly how these temptations came to Jesus, whether like through an external voice. That's how a lot of folks picture this. This is an external voice coming um, to him. Or maybe it was through an inner voice, you know, in his human mind, his body, through his body's emotions, maybe all of the above. But however they came, the temptations, the effect was the same. You're the son of God. Go ahead. Satisfy your own physical hunger. Make the satisfaction of your physical needs and your sensual desires your highest good. And all of us are susceptible to this temptation mm-hmm. because we're physical beings with needs for physical nourishment of all kinds, for food, for water, for drink, for touch, to be hugged. You know, babies die if they're not hugged and physically touched. Um, for sex, for shelter. See, none of these things are bad. God created all of the stuff and said all the stuff is very good and he, he put these needs in us and wants them to be met. See, the issue is not that we have physical needs and desires. It's how we relate to the physical things that satisfy them and how we choose to satisfy ourselves. Does it make sense? So Jesus responded to the tempter. He says, wow, it's written, Human, humankind shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, in this moment, even though, yeah, I could make bread, I could meet my own needs in my own power, but I'm choosing to trust God and I'm choosing to keep my focus on the bread that satisfies the deepest human hunger, the deepest needs in me. Thomas Merton, um, famous 20th century uh, spiritual writer, he once said that sensual desires, physical needs, are, are like little kids. They're just inside us going, give me what I want when I want it. I want that. I want ice cream. I want candy. I always want chocolate. I want to do what I want when I want. Always. Take me here. Give me that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but what do we know? Good parents, do we, do we give them, do we give, give our kids everything they want? No. Do we satisfy their every desire and every whim at every moment? No. Why? Because it would make them sick. It makes us sick. See, when we have these, ins- we, we have these insistent desires, like little kids jumping up and down, but if we consistently give in to them, it's going to make us sick because we will become dependent on whatever it is that we think we need in order to be okay. It's going to cause us to be so focused on the physical stuff, on our senses themselves, that you know what? We may just settle for that. We may never open ourselves to deeper, higher goods, especially not to the spiritual goodness of God, because sometimes, like Jesus is showing us, that doesn't feel good. And again, Jesus doesn't say our physical existence is not good. It is. It's just that there's more to us and there's more to our God-given identity than only that. 
So Jesus refused to be distracted by the first temptation, which is the temptation of his person. So let's watch this. The second temptation picks up right there. It picks up with his purpose. Hmm, second temptation. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it's been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. This is the temptation to misuse power in such a subtle way that if Jesus actually went along with this, it would have derailed his purpose in this world completely. Jesus has shown all the kingdoms of this world, and that includes what? All the people of the world. And the evil one tells him the truth, the truth they both know. How at the beginning of the story in the garden, he distracted the man and the woman from God. They turned their focus away from God. They forgot God. And they, they looked at the tempter, they heard the temptation, they saw that it was good, and they sinned. And they turned themselves and those who, who would follow them, all of us, all of humanity, turned them over into his power. So now, it sounds like he's being so generous. So now I'm just offering Jesus to give them all back to you if you'll only worship me. Why would that tempt Jesus? You see, the thing is, why, Jesus knows the story. Jesus knows better than that. Why would this be a real temptation? Because listen, that was his purpose for coming into the world, wasn't it? He came into the world to take all of humanity back from the power of the evil one. But he came to do that using power of a very different kind. Using the power of God's love, a love willing to lay down control, not take up power. The willingness to lay down his divine rights like we talked about earlier and die in the place of those who did give in to temptation and sin. To trade places with those who did choose to worship the evil one instead of God. Very different path. Jesus is tempted by this path, this different path that the tempter is offering him. Because basically, what is the temptation? He's saying, Jesus, you don't need to suffer. There's no need for the cross. Just worship me instead of God. And mission accomplished. You get all the kingdoms of this world. The easy, painless way. And in his humanness, honestly, this must have been a real temptation for Jesus. You know how we know that? Because just look, about three years ahead of time. Three years later, Jesus is anguished in Gethsemane over the pain that he was about to endure, and he was asking God, is there any way for me not to have to do this? This was a real temptation. But Jesus was able to stay true to his identity and his mission in Gethsemane because he was tempted three years earlier, right here in the desert, and he refused to take the easy path. He refused to do it the easy way. So he quotes scripture in response. He's all scripture all the way through this. 
He says, but it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Interesting, isn't it? Are we tempted to take the easy path? I think this is a huge one for us. Power right now is one of the greatest temptations in our world right now. It's being misused all over the place. We gotta do this with no pain. We gotta do this with no suffering. We, well, there's a way we can do this. Hmm. And in our own lives. The tempter then, see, they all build on each other. <clears throat> the tempter hears that and sees he's not gonna fall for that one. So he picks up on this purpose. He picks it up in the third temptation and comes at it from a bit of a different angle. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle at the highest point of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he, God, will command his angels to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Wow. Notice, he's shifting tactics, right? This time, the tempter mimics what Jesus has been doing. Jesus has been quoting scripture and standing in his identity and in his purpose and who God is, right? Tempter's like, I can use that. I can come as an angel of light. I can quote scripture through too. And he throws two verses from Psalm 91 at him. Why those two verses? This is fascinating. Because those two verses, why? Mm, because evil knows Psalm 91 very well. In the first century, Jewish, Jewish exorcists would actually sing Psalm 91 when they were casting out demons. He's quoting scripture that had been used to cast evil out. And he's using it to tempt Jesus to cast himself down. He's saying, hey, if you really are who you think you are, prove it. Prove it. Stand at the top of the temple where everybody can see you. You're at the top of the religious system. See, he's moving from the, the, the world into the religious system itself. Stand at the top. You're going to shine up there like the sun. Everyone's going to see you. And then you know what you can do? You can jump without a net, and, and let the angels catch you. It's gonna be spectacular, Jesus. You're gonna be the most spectacular circus act ever. All the religious leaders in the temple, all of the Jewish people, they're gonna see you really are the Messiah. Listen, the first temptation was to live to satisfy your own physical needs and sensual desires. The second temptation was to live for worldly power and control. This third temptation is to live for earthly fame, honor, and glory. Oh, and if you can get it in the church, it's even better. Be admired. Be worshipped by everyone. Have the big crowds and all the lights and the spectacle. Jesus was being tempted to pride, obviously. He's being tempted to stand there and say, like humans do, remember it's in his humanity. Look at me, I'm at the center of my whole world. 
everyone sees me. In fact, even God has to notice me because if I jump, he has to send angels to rescue me. Oh, let's just pull scripture verses out of context and put them on refrigerator magnets and we can quote them and say, this here's this promise you made me, Jesus, so you have to do it. And when he doesn't, what do we do? We get mad. Hmm. The tempter's agreeing, notice. <clears throat> He's agreeing at this point that Jesus is indeed the son of the most high God. And he's tempting Jesus to prove it by forcing the Father's hand. So how did, the way Jesus answers him is interesting. He says, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't tempt God. Huh, what's he saying? You know, tempter, for 40 days you've been asking me who I think I am. Now it's your turn. Who do you think you are? Let me remind you, you're the great narcissist who thought so highly of yourself that you declared, I will be like the most high God. I will sit on the throne instead of God. I will be God. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to follow you there. Remember, he's also God, but he let this go. I, as a human, I, in my calling as the Messiah, I am not going to follow you there. At this point, Jesus was solid in his identity, in his purpose. He came to reveal not his own goodness, but the supreme goodness of God. And he came to do it in a far better way than that the tempter could ever even imagine because he came to, sh to show, not by lifting himself up in pride, but by letting go of his divine power and glory, not ascending to the heights, but descending by his own choice, humbling himself in love. I'm gonna read these verses. We read them a lot here. We just had a class on Philippians, but it matters so much because this is the attitude in which we will not be hooked by temptation. We'll feel it pulling. But this scripture helps us to know where we stand. Let this same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or something to be grasped, it says in Greek, something to be held onto tightly. He emptied himself. He let go, open the hands, taking the form of a slave, being form, born in human likeness, and being found in human form, what? He humbled himself. He descended. This is the most incredible use of power. Let go and go, get low. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God did exalt him, highly exalted him, gave him the name that's above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, listen, not to his own glory, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew what the evil one could never know. 
The temptation is not overcome by fighting it in our own power. What we fight fights us back and we lose every time. That's the old saying. No, temptation is overcome by surrendering into God's love, by letting go, by refusing to be distracted by lesser goods in order to focus completely on God's supreme goodness in laying down his own life in love through his son for the forgiveness of the sin of the whole world. That's where we focus. That's how we live. All of those of us who are in Christ, yeah, we're anchored in his identity. We're called according to his purposes. But if we're actually going to live his life, we have to follow him into our own desert times. Times of testing, times of temptation, being challenged in our humanness as Jesus was challenged in his. We need to wrestle with some really hard questions, folks, as Christians and especially as 21st century American Christians in the world today. We have got to wrestle with the hard questions about who we are and how we live. Questions like, can we get over ourselves? Can we get over our own ideas about who we think we are and what we think we deserve? I mean, do we have the guts to look directly at the things in our lives that distract us from our God-given path and purposes? Do we have the commitment, the faith, to acknowledge the disordered ways that we use to, to, to live to satisfy our physical needs and sensual desires disordered? Do we have the guts to look at that? see it for what it is, and move in the opposite direction? Do we have the, the commitment not only to acknowledge the disorders way, disordered ways we meet our own needs, but the deceptive ways that we seek to be powerful in control of our lives and others' lives? How about the devilish ways we live for our own glory, fame, and honor? See, those of us who are in Christ will not fully live in him until we're tested because then when we're tested, we come through in him free. Free from the power of sin. Wow. Free. To, to stand in a temptation and not have to do what it's telling us to do. Are we together? And we do this not in our own strength, but in his. Not in, in our old sinful identity, but our new identity as new creations in him. And yeah, we'll continue to be tempted, but we don't have to sin anymore, folks. We do not have to sin anymore. Because in him, whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. We are freed from the power of sin and death and anything else that tries to enslave us. This story is why we could sing something as, as audacious as we did earlier today. Yep. I surrender all. Yep. Do you think about those words as we sang them together? I was raised on that hymn, number 351 in the United Brethren Hymnal. <laughs> I forgot to call out the hymn, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, when I was... 10, 15 years old or whatever. It was just a song that we sang in church. But wow, do, do they choke at the throat a little bit? Do I really surrender all? Do I follow the pattern of Jesus out there in the desert? 
-hmm. in order to, why would we do that? Unless there is freedom to be gained. Now, Joanne just said that Jesus was freed from something, and as a result, we too are freed from something, which is sin, but uh, we're also freed for something. Yep. So let me talk about that a little bit. And for those of you that know that we normally go back and forth at about four or five times, and you're wondering, <laughs> we're going back and forth a little less. <laughs> less yeah, today, it, it came we? together differently. But no, no, we don't have like three more sections that long. <laughs> no, we don't. You will be freed from a two-hour message. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was freed for something. So he walked out of that wilderness 40 days later in the newly experienced power Power of the spirit who had descended upon him at his baptism, the spirit who had led him into the wilderness, the spirit who had sustained him in his testing, and the spirit now who empowers him in his ministry. It's time mm -hmm. to get to work. So this story continues in Luke chapter 4. This part has been at the end of Luke chapter... No, this is all Luke 4. It continues in Luke 4. We're not giving you specific verses all the way through, but you want to read the whole chapter. It's an amazing one. And seriously, we could give you the two-hour, three-hour version of this message and just go through the whole chapter, almost phrase by phrase. This is incredible. Friday what's afternoon was so much fun. We talked through the whole passage, and we were looking at the Greek text and everything, and like two and a half hours went by, and we're like... We forgot to watch that student video we were supposed to watch because we were so into it. Yeah, yeah. students. Um, yeah. So we geek on Greek. It's just, uh, <laughs> just part of the fun. Anyway, it yeah. continues in chapter 4 where Luke picks up and says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. There it is again. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Now, why did the news spread about him? Because something has, has changed. Because of his testing, he's now living out his identity in a very awesome, very public way. Mm -hmm. What was he doing? Luke says, well, he was teaching in their synagogues. And if we look at Matthew and Mark, they tell us that he was also starting to do some miracles too. And as a result, everyone praised him. Hallelujah. He's an instant celebrity. He's got 10 million hits on YouTube. Everybody in Galilee is talking about him. By the way, Galilee was kind of prone to this. They like to have their celebrities. Like Americans, we like to have our celebrities. Um, he, he wasn't the first one, even in that time period. The Jewish historian Josephus tells of a whole bunch of would-be rebels and would-be messiahs who, who gained some fame and notoriety for a while in Galilee in that same time period. Well, here comes another one. <laughs> well, it's time for this guy, Jesus, is that his name? To have his 15 minutes of fame. Let's see what he has to say. Let's see what the show is. Let's see him do something spectacular. Yep, temptation. Well, fortunately, because of this testing, Jesus knew who he was. Yep. And it wasn't dependent on the adulation of the masses. Mm -hmm. Or even the adoration of a few people in his life. Are you? Mm -hmm. Do you make your decisions based upon popular approval? A popular opinion? Or even the opinion of a few people who speak into your life? Mm. He was free. Yeah. And that freedom served him well then when he went back to his hometown. <laughs> now, some of you never left your hometown. Some of us have. Those of you who have been around for a while heard me talk about my little hometown called, uh, called Cozy Town. <laughs> 
I've been back to Cozy Town. It doesn't fit me terribly well anymore these days. And they don't quite know what to make of me. Jesus, that was even more so. These mm -hmm. people supposedly knew him best. They watched him grow up. They'd be on his side, right? Well, let's see. Luke says he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, apparently volunteered. And, they, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. He turned actually to a very familiar passage. Apparently, he could choose the one. Mm -hmm. And on that day, he gave that passage fresh meaning. Yeah. Because he knew who he was. And he knew what God was up to. This is what he read. This is from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me. <laughs> Jesus is reading Isaiah's words, right? But this is his own testimony now, isn't it? Yeah. The spirit of the Lord really is on him. Could you read those words? <laughs> the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. This is the first time the word gospel is used in the gospels. Yeah. Or at least in this one. In this good news. Gospel. To the poor. Mm -hmm. He sent me to proclaim freedom. Freedom. There's Braveheart again. For the prisoners. To proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. Which is, by the way, both literal and metaphorical in the, past, in the way that was used there. He sent me to, to set the oppressed free. Everybody that's been pushed down had injustice done to them. And to proclaim the year, literally it's the appointed time of the Lord's favor. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The people in Nazareth, by the way, would have known this passage. They would have known it intimately. They probably, would have been, they probably had it memorized and were quoting it with them. You know why? Because this was one of those few passages in the Bible that referred to the promise of Jubilee. We spent a whole year talking about Jubilee back in 2013 or so. It was that wonderful experience of freedom and restoration that God had instituted when all their, their ancestors were in their own wilderness. Yep. Back in the wilderness coming out of Egypt into Israel. This was an event that was supposed to have happened every 50 years. When the slaves were to be set free and land returned to its owners and all sorts of really good things would happen to ordinary people. But it had seldom happened. And so reading this might have made his listeners sad. Because Isaiah had prophesied this over 700 years before. And no jubilee had yet come. Not one. In those 700 years that we know of. Instead, the Romans had come. Mm -hmm. And the Romans, from their perspective, were doing the exact opposite of Jubilee. They were the ones oppressing people. They were the ones taking people into captivity. They were the ones who were giving bad news. So what the people of Israel were living in was not anything like what Isaiah was talking about. So they're looking at Jesus with some curiosity. Why this passage? What are you saying? Then Jesus did two startling things. He stopped reading. Right where I stopped, I stopped quoting him. Right where he stopped, he's quoting Isaiah. But you know what? It was in the middle of a sentence. It was at a comma, not a period. Isaiah had more to say. Isaiah had an ending to that sentence. And the next words, Jesus skipped. What were those next words? They were, and the day of vengeance mm -hmm. of our God. Yeah. Yeah. Which had followed the year of the favor of our Lord. Yeah. Jesus didn't go on to that. 
And that disappointed probably the people in Nazareth because they were not afraid of the vengeance of God. They assumed they were okay with God. They wanted the vengeance of God. They wanted God to smite some people, particularly mm -hmm. those Romans. Yeah. And anybody else that they regarded as an enemy, anybody else they regarded as beneath them. They had given in to that temptation to power that Jesus had no, said no to, what mm -hmm. Joanne was talking about just a few moments ago. Mm -hmm. So they would have been puzzled, maybe even bothered by the fact that Jesus didn't mention that. Mm -hmm. But they were even more startled, and in this case, delighted by what Jesus said next. Let's pick it up from Luke. Yeah. Puts down the scroll and says, today, this scripture. Mm -hmm. Somebody is... was saying that earlier. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Today, <laughs> this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Yes. What? Yeah. After all these centuries, it's time for Jubilee? Really, Jesus? Now, today, mm. not just sometime in our lifetime, not just in this generation, today, well, that's awesome. And Luke says that at that moment, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words. Jesus always has words of grace, by the way. I love the fact that the grace is used there. But they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. You can almost imagine what's going on in that little stone synagogue in Nazareth. I've been there, too. Um, well, not that one. But anyway, there's these little, little stone building where people were packed in, and you could hear the, probably the celebrations, yay, God! And for a moment, at least, it was, yay, Jesus! For just a moment. Because mm -hmm. then they stopped cheering. They looked at each other, and they looked back at him, at this person from whom the, whose lips the words had come from. And they're saying, hold a minute here. This isn't real. This is Jesus. <laughs> we know Jesus. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask, which was just kind of a code for a whole bunch of other ways in which they suddenly began to doubt him. Mark gives us actually the fuller version. Oh, boy, did they lay in heavily. And they're doing this out loud, by the way, right in front of him. Where did this man get these things? Mm-hmm. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? You've got to read this with a sarcastic tone of voice. Where's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles, they did air quotes, I'm sure, uh, that he is performing? Mm -hmm. Isn't this the carpenter? He's a carpenter, for Pete's sake. Yeah. Isn't this Mary's son and Joseph's son? And we all know that story, don't we? Mm -hmm. Isn't he the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, these four guys who are probably here with him? in the room. Aren't his sisters with us? They're over there against the wall. In other words, they're looking at him and asking that exact same question. Just who do you think you are? Yeah. And they Ooh. took offense at him. Lovely message, Jesus. Mm -hmm. But we don't trust the messenger. We know who you are. Yeah. And actually they didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> like many people in our hometowns, don't really know <laughs> who we are, at least when we grow up. Jesus understood. He saw where this was going. He knew what was coming next. Why? Because he just experienced a very similar thing out in the desert. Yeah. So he stopped it. Hand out, stopped it before they even had a chance to keep on going. He said, surely you're going to quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. 
Now, what that meant, that was, a, that was a common saying in those days, because people would insist, in the days before modern medicine, and a lot of quack doctors, they wanted the doctors to prove the power of their care through their own healthiness. Mm-hmm. If the doctor is sick, that doesn't give us much hope for his remedies, right? <laughs> in other words, mm-hmm. he said, you're going to want me to do here in your hometown what you have heard, we, we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Same temptation that he had just faced out in the wilderness. If you are who you say you are, prove it. Do something spectacular. Mm -hmm. Let us see that kind of power. And then maybe we'll decide. We were the jury. We'll decide your verdict. But Jesus was free. And Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. He didn't need their affirmation. He didn't need their admiration. He knew who he was. And he knew who the father was. And yeah, he had grown up there. He knew who they were too. And so what he did was turn the tables on them. And I think he did this with with, with some sorrow. But he started showing them who they are. Their own mistaken identity. Who do you think you are? Yeah. They thought they were special. They were the hometown of a celebrity. Hey, we get to claim Jesus. Jesus. And they were God's chosen people. They were better than those evil Romans, right? Better than, well, everybody else. Anybody else out there God's chosen people? That's us. Until Jesus reminded them of the story of the famine that occurred in the time of Elijah. Elijah, by the way, was from that area. Elijah was their other hometown hero. A story in scripture, and they all knew it. And it was how a widow in Zarephath, which is in the country of Sidon, not in Israel, this widow, a woman, a foreigner, the kind of person they looked down upon. Mm-hmm. It was her that God sent Elijah to take care of. Yep. And not any of, the, not any of the widows in Israel. Ouch. Yeah. And another reminder of a leper healed in the time of Elisha. Ah, he's also from Galilee. Another foreigner, mm-hmm. Naaman of Syria, a military man, a soldier in the army that was at that point harassing the Israelites. Sort of like a Roman centurion that Jesus would later befriend. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the kind of people that they wanted God to show up and take vengeance on. And none of the lepers in Israel were here healed when the, the Syrian soldier was healed. What was Jesus showing them? That they had gotten a little bit big for their britches. Yeah. So much so that they were missing, they were missing gospel right in front of their eyes. Jesus had given them the first proclamation of this full gospel. What he was there to do, who he was, and what God was up to in their time on that very day. And they were missing it. They were turning it away. They were rejecting gospel right in front of their eyes. They thought they knew Jesus better than everyone else, but they knew him least. They thought they understood Jubilee, but were actually turning it down. Because in the end, Jubilee was less about getting the fields and the farms returned, and it was more about the inner freedom that makes us not need much of the stuff that we think we need. They thought they had dibs on God. But others, those that they thought were least likely to be in God's favor, those were the ones who were experiencing God's love. Mm-hmm. Wow, they were offended before, yeah. but now they're absolutely ticked. Yep. Much like people in our own world. Yep. 
are very, very angry. Sometimes when they get ticked, they get ticked when they find out that God loves other people too. Mm-hmm. Even Democrats mm-hmm. and Republicans, <laughs> yes. Ukrainians and Russians, yeah. Christians, yes, and non-Christians too. Yep. And Lord help us, even the New York Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had the Phillies here, but I couldn't. I found that online. It was too good to pass up. And so, for the people of Nazareth, this hometown hero that just a few minutes ago they had received home with glee, yay, Jesus! They now try to kill. Seriously, they had turned that quickly. They became like the God they worshipped. Yeah. Just like in our world, sometimes we're just amazed at how people turn on us that quickly. Well, he punched their buttons. He showed them who they were. Nazareth is set on top of a rocky cliff. And so they they literally tried to throw him off the cliff. Probably not the first time that had happened. They wanted, since God wasn't going to intervene, they were going to wreak their own vengeance Mm -hmm. upon him for telling the truth about who they had become. Well, Jesus isn't done yet. It's not time for him to die. Jesus just just walks through them. I'd love to see what that looked like in real life, but that's what Luke says. And he left them. And nowhere in the Gospels does it say that he ever returned to Nazareth. Yeah. Scripture says that he had done few miracles in his little time there because of their unbelief. Because they couldn't come to their own terms with their own identity, much less his. Mm-hmm. And so the good news was given to and received by those that they hated. And what was that good news? Well, let's summarize here a little bit. That the testing that made him secure in his own identity, you know what, the same for us. And that the trust in the Father, the surrender that he had done, I surrender all, that he had modeled in the wilderness is the same thing we're invited to in our own times of testing and temptation. Mm -hmm. And that the freedom that he enjoyed as a result can be ours too. Yes. For if we know who we are in him, then we have nothing more to prove or protect or defend from anybody to anybody. Yeah. And that the power he then demonstrated in his words and actions can be ours as well. For it's not the earthly power. It's the power of the spirit who knows who we truly are. Yeah. That cycle is his and that is ours. This is part of what people miss in the gospel about Jesus. The whole story. Yay, Jesus. Jesus has all these cool things happen to him. Jesus said no to temptation. Jesus did miracles. Jesus knew his identity. The whole point is that we follow along with him. We become one with him. And his story becomes our story. His gospel becomes the gospel we live out with our life. This is ours. Mm-hmm. And this is indeed good news. We can live in that kind of freedom. We can live in that kind of power. It won't be the easy way to it. But it is true. And it is awesome. Particularly in the moments when it feels like things have gotten gotten messy in the world. Or in your own life. Or even in our church body. Much of that invitation was still in the future when he was in Nazareth. This is the beginning of his public ministry. But for us, we're looking back. It's, It's present tense for us. It's our invitation today. Yes. Jubilee is present for us today. Freedom. And that spiritual power. It's our story. It's our gospel. 
Yes. It is the good news that is the basis for our life in the world and our ministry in that world, whatever that looks like, given our unique identity. Yeah. So let me, as I finish up, let me ask you once again, just who do you think you are? Yeah. And like, you know, with every message that we teach or preach, we're, we're speaking big picture. Um, to offer you something like that. That circle was great that you put that together in that way. You know, the progression. To understand the big picture dynamics, you know, and the, the deeper dynamics spiritually. But guess what, folks? Um, we're not here, we can't know what this means individually for every one of you. That's your work. Growing up in the faith, not to be little children anymore, but to be mature means we take this to heart, we take this in, and we begin to wonder with God. And this is what we invite you to this week and in coming weeks, inviting you to wake up, to look at your life, good, bad, everything. Look at it directly. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what are your patterns. We all have unique temptation patterns that are, you know, the, uh, we're tempted, usually in the places where we feel weak, where we are insecure, where we don't um, re remember who we are, all of what we've been saying this morning. What does that mean for you? You can begin to become a student of yourself. You can begin to become a student of, when you're feeling that pull, that tug, that temptation, whatever it is for you, notice it. And then notice that you do not have to go with it. Just stop in the moment and say, oh, I see. Oh, I see. And we can say no, because we're free. Make sense? So we're going to invite you to that ongoing spiritual work of waking up, seeing what's real, noticing your temptation pattern so that you can more and more fully live in the freedom that is already yours in Christ. Amen? We're going to close with a video that really illustrates beautifully all of the amazing reality that we've been talking about this morning, and that in Christ we have already been freed from our old patterns of sin and death. It's just up to us whether we're going to choose to live in that freedom. We've been freed from all these old patterns of sin, of temptation, of death, and we've been freed for a life that's beyond all we can ask or think. And this video really shows us what that can look like for us. Yeah. As I'm watching that, I'm thinking, well, Jesus, out of the dust of the desert, Jesus rose. Right? Free and empowered in the spirit. And then three years later, he rose out of the dust of the tomb. Free and empowered with new life. And in him, we can rise from the dust of our lives. Temptation. We can let it go, folks. You do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. We can be free. Let's do it. The world needs it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.
Say hi to Friendship Community on your way yes. out. Yes. Glad to have you Glad guys. Glad to have us. you with us this morning. Yeah.